All right, welcome back to Marky Mark and the Fitness Bunch. Today we have a very special guest. She is super knowledgeable in this, was a college athlete herself. Um, I want you to get to know Katie Spada today. Katie, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit, tell us what you're about and the uh, kind of your experience with college sports as well. Hey, Mark. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. I am super excited to be here. Um, And as Mark mentioned, my name is Katie Spada. I am a retired synchronized swimmer, and I competed at both the collegiate and national team levels here um, in the United States. And that really kind of brought me into my career as a dietitian. And now with my business, which is focused on helping former athletes transition their nutrition in life after sport. Um, As we'll get into more, there was a lot of struggles for myself as a athlete in terms of body image and nutrition and disordered eating. I watched a lot of my teammates struggle with eating disorders. Um, And so that kind of pushed me to take a look at, okay, some things need to change. And some of the things that need to change, I feel, are the dialogue that we're using in sports, um, focusing on appearance over performance. And so my goal is to change the narrative and really bring these topics more into light. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I want to mention as well, that like, because you were at the collegiate and national level that you, this is a topic I wanted to talk about, but I never, I myself never really got to that level. This was always something that I kind of experienced on the side with other people. Uh, I made it to like the regional level. I was a dancer for a bit, but it was still local. So I wanted to bring someone on who like really experienced it. Yeah. And really can like talk to the situation as well, because, you know, let's talk about like how the fact that you were in school as well as competing in synchronized swimming, correct? Yes. Yes. All four years of college or university, um, I competed for the university and was a full time student. Right. So like bring us, can you like explain a little bit on to what a typical, you know, day or week that would be like, like in terms of like hours of training, sure. um, you know, balancing schoolwork, things like that. Because I think a lot of people hear about college athletes and I think there are some people out there who kind of think like the college athletes are just there to, you know, play their sport and then like the C's get degrees and their teachers <laughs> will, you know, pass them for whatever because they're on, you know, the school sports team. And I kind of, I, I, I know this isn't true. And I kind of want to make sure that like people actually understand like what it's like being a college athlete. Yeah, of course. And I do just want to preface before I kind of go into that. I was very fortunate. I competed for the Ohio State University, which if you're not familiar with um, American colleges is one of the largest universities here in the States. Um, And they're very well known for their athletics. So I was afforded a lot of wonderful opportunities and resources there. Even that being said, though, it was still quite the challenge. Um, The NCAA does mandate only 20 hours of required practice time. But with that being said, there's always the quote unquote optional practices where if you don't show up, there is consequences. Um, So practice time usually tended to exceed the 20 hours. So a typical week would usually be practice uh, Monday through Saturday, starting about 6 a.m. We usually started with a lift every Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 6 to 7. We would make our way over to the pool um, and then practice in another about three hours. Um, I would jump out of the pool, rush to class sitting in class smelling like chlorine with ice packs all over all of my injuries. Um, It's a a very good look. (laughs) I rocked the grout fit because it was the only thing that could fit my ice packs underneath. Um, 
And then once my day of school was done, specifically my work, I had a job. And so I worked as a nutrition assistant at the hospital on campus. And so I tried to balance out making all of my classes, getting my homework done, working this job and being back up at 5 a.m. the next day to start practice. Um, With that being said, I was lucky to have tutors available to me, but I didn't always have teachers who were understanding of the time commitment and the demands of being a college athlete. I remember one professor specifically, um, another teammate and I were in class and we brought her our letters of excuse. We were going out of town for the regionals and would be missing Thursday, Friday. And she said we would not get the points back because we weren't there, even though. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I was, I'm surprised that wasn't just a school policy. That's what <laughs> we were surprised too. We even brought it to our coaches, but I guess she had the freedom to make that decision. And um, she did say if it came down to the difference between a certain grade, she would take a relook at it. Fortunately for me, that wasn't the case, but nonetheless, she did not accept our um, being an athlete as an excuse for not being in class. So it was, it was not easy. I was lucky to be at such a big school. My brother was at a smaller school and he did not have the resources that um, I had as a college athlete. But at the same time, we dedicated a lot of hours and a lot of time. And I would argue that my, my college experience was um, not the normal uh, American college student experience because of how much time and effort I had to dedicate to my sport. Now, to be clear, like, so being in a larger school, you actually get a little, it's a little, it's a little better is kind of what you're saying, like, as opposed to a smaller school, is this kind of like generalizing, of course. Yes, generalizing, um, I would say being at one of the larger universities is more beneficial as an athlete, uh, just in terms of resources. Like I mentioned, I had access to tutors um, and scheduling my classes a little bit early, whereas my brother did not. Um, And so he, he played baseball for reference. Um he would have to struggle to try and find classes that would fit around his practice time. And once you kind of reached your core classes, I struggled with the same thing and would have to leave practice early, which didn't look great on the coaches, but I also am trying to get a degree. So balancing all of that was a little bit tricky. And just to be clear, like you were taking nutrition at the time? Yep. Yep. I was getting my BS in human nutrition and dietetics. Yeah, so I actually took the uh, Canadian equivalent of that degree as well. And the reason I want to share with that is that that is not an easy degree. It is a lot of biochemistry. It is a lot of labs. It is a lot of a very combination of both social science and sciences. So even if you're like a science-heavy person, you still had to be a very well-rounded human being in terms of the knowledge you're able to do. Yes. There's a lot of tests. There's a lot of assignments. There's a lot of presentations. It is, it is not a, um, you really have to be a jack of all trades. It really isn't like if you're good at labs, like that's good enough. Or if you're good at essays, that's good enough. You really have to be well-developed in a wide variety of skills. But I think is like when you hear a nutrition degree, I think the people who don't understand is like, oh, so do you learn how to bake? And we do. But there are also <laughs> a lot of other things that are involved in that. So when you're looking at your life here, we're talking about, you know, uh, a pretty heavy science degree that's very competitive you're looking at you know you worked as a part-time job yes part-time job so part-time job as well as being a student or being a student athlete with you know 20 quote-unquote hours but 
you know, with these optional hours that I say would be, you know, they're optional in the sense that you also have the option to be on the team kind of. <laughs> right, right. Like it's, you know, asterisk optional. And I think this is what really comes down to what we want to talk about today is that when you look at the constraints and the work ethic that requires to be a college athlete, and then you look at um, the payout, especially with the NCAA, which is, I was going to ask if you were encompassed in that as a synchronized swimmer. Yeah. it. Um, yes. Yes. And no, it's a little complicated. Um, synchronized swimming lost their NCAA status, but in order to retain it, we still have to comply with NCAA rules. So it, it was a very tricky situation that we kind of had to apply, like, apply all of the rules that the NCAA put on us in order to regain status. But at the time we were kind of free floating. Oh, okay. So kind of like an interim, like middle ground, like not technically part of it, but trying to get part of it. So you were following the rules without really any of the benefits. Exactly. Exactly. Which is almost worse. (laughs) Right. Right. It was, Um, yeah, it was not great. None of the perks. Um, Not that there aren't many. Anyways, what we're talking about is that there are no, uh, in the U.S., there are no paid athletes, and I believe Canada has a similar issue. Most of my uh, viewers are Canadian, which is why I'm referencing that. Yes. Um, and so what I was going to mention as well is that it's when you look at the time constraint that you guys have and the work ethic and, the, you know, there's so much pressure to win, of course. Like, you don't want to be a losing team. Like, that's kind of the idea, especially if you're a larger school, the pressure of excelling in the sport on top of being you know good at school on top of you know holding a job because you know school isn't free and of course you want to be able to find a way to pay for that and getting ready for your dietetic internship Mm -hmm. is that kind of what we want to focus on here is that the fact that the process is not paid I think is very concerning when you think about the demand like you're essentially they're giving you what was the what I'd love to hear is like when they when you found out you weren't getting paid what did they tell you that was that kind of rationalized it? Like, what was the, did they ever be like, Oh, but you're getting exposure or like anything. That's what I got as a dancer. So uh, is there any, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was the rationale they gave you towards that? For sure. So um, I was very fortunate. I was a scholarship student. And so that was a student athlete. Um, so that was the rationale was, well, we're paying for school. Um, and now not, not all of school. I still had, student loans when I walked out of college. Um, and the majority of my teammates were not scholarshiped. Um, and so there it was just for the experience, for the opportunity. Um, so I believe a lot of the rationale that they use is that student athletes get scholarships, but a very small percentage of us actually obtain college scholarships for our sport. And even, even with that, we still, it's not fully paid. Not everything is covered. And so we're still having to take out loans. Uh, but that was their rationale and their reasoning was, well, you're getting your education, quote unquote, for free. Now, right. And if you, if you don't mind answering, yeah. like what proportion of it was, was covered? Sure. So my, and was it covered by the school or was it covered by the NCAA? It was covered by the school. Um, okay. So they have a champions fund at Ohio state that helps with a lot of the, um, athlete scholarships, but, um, my freshman year I had tuition covered, which was helpful because I was out of state. And so it was a much more significant amount, but I still had to pay for housing. Um, you know, my meal plan, my books, uh, all of that was on me, which is still thousands of dollars. Um, for re- and you're out of town. So there's still rent. Ex- and exactly. And all that, you know, yes. Like, you know, tuition was not your 
exclusive expense. Correct. Correct. And so, um, it continued to grow each year, my sophomore year, junior year. And by my senior year, I was fortunate to have a full scholarship, um, that did include partial room and board. So it did pay for some of my rent, but not all of it. Um, so I still walked out of school with about $23,000 in debt, which compared to the average American student is very minimal. Um, but it was still a lot of money, <laughs> which, 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 which is still nothing. Um, right. And I think that that's a whole crisis that we can get into another time. Uh, yes. But definitely, you know, the idea, I think people hear that a lot too. It's like, oh, well, this person, there's a, there's a scholarship. So this person's going to university for free, I think is for the people outside of the know. Exactly. And kind of what you're saying is that not only is that not true, was there anyone who got it? Like, like this person's amazing. We're going to free ride them. Like, you know, tuition full, room board, et cetera. I don't believe so. Um, we did have one student who came over from the Ukraine. And so I believe she, from her athletic scholarship, also had some financial assistance from like foreign entities um, as like a like a an exchange student type of thing. But with that being said, you know, my argument there is that there are a lot of academic scholarships as well that students have access to. And so the only, you know, students that are scholarships are not athletes. A lot of normal students have access to scholarship funds. Um, and so that doesn't really make us special because a lot of my teammates did have academic scholarships who didn't have athletic scholarships. And some of them had more, more academic scholarship than I had athletic. Um, and so with that being an argument for not being paid, I, I think there's a lot of holes and a lot of flaws in that um, because it's not something that's just exclusive to student athletes. Other other students have access to scholarships, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think no, it absolutely does. And I think we also need to talk about the fact that there, it's not as if there isn't money. Like I think that's the the big, you know, just because it's college level, it's not in the idea that the game itself doesn't make money and other people are getting paid. It's not like everyone's not getting paid across the board. Right. I think that's a very important thing. Is that like you know the person doing ticket stands gets paid, the coach gets paid, the person who um, you know, in football, the person who mows the field gets paid. The person, you know, the lifeguard got paid for being there to synchronize. Yep. Like there's a, it, it's very interesting in the fact that they decided the one person who doesn't get paid is the reason that everyone is there. Yes, I could not agree more. Um, I know that their whole goal is to maintain amateur status, but even at the Olympics, which is supposedly supposed to be amateur status, a lot of those athletes do get sponsorships and they get paid for for their skill yeah for sure and i think like you know when we talk about olympic athletes as well is that they're amateur for about two weeks and they go back to being professional right so (laughs) well you know an olympics has its own issue but you know it's not it's not four years of being quote-unquote amateur and i think when you look at a lot of especially i don't know when synchronized swimmers like the training age peaks or like when they're but I have to imagine it's relatively young, right? Yeah, it's about late teens, early 20s. So right at that college age. So you're essentially looking at, you know, nation, like world-class people potentially. Yes. Because that's when the best synchronized swimmers are going to be. So essentially you're getting, you know, potentially world-class status as well as uh, it being for free, which I think is a pretty intense idea and I think it's also that like oh we can't pay the athletes but we can get sponsors and I think that's a very interesting 
because that's you know anybody who works through sponsorship media and stuff like that that's actually that's how they usually pay for things right like that's the this is how we get money is through sponsorships and ads so the fact that the ncaa has that and still doesn't pay is like a very um i'm gonna be generous and say unique uh business structure absolutely in a sense that it's unique as in terrible right i think that's very interesting as well that everyone else gets you know even people like no one no one goes to a sporting event and be like wow that coach made a really good play you know what i mean like that's not why they're there very true they're not there because like wow that lifeguard was really on their ball for that synchronized swimming you know competition or whatever it was that wasn't no one because the life no one's there for the amazing lifeguard status i think that's the problem with this is that the main show and i actually got a little bit of this obviously very different but i got a lot of this back when i was a dancer where you'd get a lot of like oh we're giving you exposure and i think the the topic that comes up as well is like oh well, we're giving you a, the ability to be discovered right like we're setting you up for like you know maybe there's a scout there and maybe someone will you know find you join you let you join the team and essentially and i, I kind of want to talk about it a little bit because i from what i understand the number of athletes who actually move from the college level to the U.S. level is, or like the, the world, the, you finally get you, you finally get paid. Let's let's call it the, the amateur to professional status. Yes. Um, how much of your team did actually move on after that? Only out of my my immediate team, only one, one of my teammates, and we had a team of thirty two, thirty two. Yeah, it was a little different each year between 28 and 32 athletes. Um, but one of them continued on and she actually swims here in Las Vegas for a show on the strip. That's kind of the equivalent of going professional in synchronized swimming. Um, the other unfortunate thing is the U.S. has not made the Olympic team, has not made the Olympics actually, since 2008. But when it comes down to athletes actually moving on to a professional level, uh, there's really only about 1% of all of the college athletes that continue on to the professional level. And that's including all sports, all divisions in the NCAA, the NIAA, uh, all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, and so there's also actually 1% to 2%. There's also the the other 98% of us that have to go pro in something else. And the NCAA utilizes that as a commercial, actually, and talks about how we go pro and all of these other things, which is mostly because we don't have the opportunity to go pro uh, because there's... That was not plan A. I think it right. like plan A. Exactly. The... Exactly. So um, they, they do tend to profit off of promoting the fact that, hey, all of our NCAA athletes, they don't go pro in sports. They go pro in something else. And it's like, yes, because we have to pay off these student loans that we've just acquired from four years of education. So it's a very convoluted system, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's really important to understand is that, you know, you're talking like one to two percent. So, you know, let's just take easy stats here. Like, you know, you're looking at 50 athletes. One might make it, which means 49 are, you know, this is this is it. This is the big moment for them to be an underpaid star. And I think that's. So unfortunate, given that it's like that, like the skill set to get on a team is quite advanced, right? Like this is one of those things that I was able to compete at the local level. I got like somewhat regional level. If I'm being, if I'm overstretching my abilities in track, I can say that I was regional for a second there. Yeah. 
Um, and I, th- you know, that was still very competitive. So the idea that making a school team, especially one that's competitive like Ohio State, is not an easy feat. And the idea that, you know, you're getting the pleasure of being on the school team, I think is, no, 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 no. They're, they're lucky to have you, I think is really the better way of wording that. Right. Like, th- this is very, in the fact that you're like, you know what, like, I have school and labs and a part-time job and all that, but they are still, you know, there, there, there has to be an easier way of doing this. And I'm, I'm confu- a little confused on why um, no one has, like, why is this still a thing, I guess, is the question that I have. Like, is there, he- um, do they have a hold on the universities in some way? Is there, is there just not enough group effort? Is, what's, what's, the, what's holding them back? I guess. You know, I mean, I've thought about this as well because I've, I've really tried to play both sides and um, not to defend at all, but I do think it's going to be a little complicated. Uh, this issue mostly came up when there was player likeness being utilized in video games and on jerseys and numbers and things like that. And that's where they said, you know, athletes should be allowed to be compensated for utilization of their likeness. Um, and so when you look at that, that tends to be, at least here in the States, um, you know, like American football, um, basketball players, that, that tends sports. to be it. Yes, exactly. Um, for the most part, it's, it's football and basketball. And so when you look at all the other sports, at the same time, you're like, well, these other sports, they're not profit driving. And that's one of the issues. For example, you know, synchronized swimming, we were not a profit driving sport. We would have a lot of people attend our meets um, at Ohio State, but we didn't charge them to come. And so there was no profit there with football and basketball and even baseball and softball and and wrestling. Those are profit driving sports um, that they can, that the the university can get money off of. So how do they make it fair with these profit driving sports versus these non-profit driving sports for compensation? And that's where I don't know the answer, but I do know that that's a big question as to how do you level the playing field so that all of your athletes feel valued? What about athletes who are playing more? What about athletes who are benched? How does that compensation work? Longer seasons for subs, things like that. Yep. So I know that there's a lot of complicated aspects to it, but I don't believe that the answer is no compensation at all. And I don't believe that scholarships are the answers because like I said, every student has the opportunity to obtain a scholarship. There are lots of scholarships available. It's not just athletic students who have the opportunity to obtain scholarships. Yeah, like you're not actually treated special. You're just put in a different category of scholarships. Right, exactly, exactly. If I had gone after an academic scholarship instead, um, you know, that would have been different and no one would have griped or complained about, oh, well, you're a scholarship, you know, academic student. Like no one, no one makes those complaints like they do about athletes who have scholarships. Yeah, exactly, which I find very unusual, and I think that's kind of like a weird, you know, I guess at university it's seen as more of an academic setting, but I think it's also the people who make the team are still very hardworking. I guess it's just hardworking in a, I don't want to say non-intellectual way, because that's not true, but we don't prioritize athleticism in the same way that we prioritize book smart, I think. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, And one of the other things is, they'll say like, well, they earned their academic scholarship. But at the same time, I earned my athletic scholarship. So like you're saying, there is still plenty of effort becoming an at, you know, college level athlete as there is becoming, you know, a straight A college student. 
Um, and I would argue, you know, I, I had to maintain a high GPA or I would have been kicked out of my program. So not every college athlete is just a communications major, nothing against communications majors. I love them, but that's one of the jokes that would always be around there is that, well, you take an easy major. We also can't. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, an athlete will take a liberal arts degree or something along those lines and then run their, you know, their football career or whatever it might be. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I think that's not fair to those at those students who are in those majors as well, because it makes those majors seem, you know, obsolete or or unnecessary. It's just this generalization where, Hey, we're, we're all working hard here. We all want to be successful, whether it's athletics, academics. And so you can't diminish the fact that I've obtained a, you know, college scholarship, for athletics, just as you can't diminish someone who's obtained an academic scholarship. For sure. Yeah. And like, and like, to be fair, I think university is kind of, you know, this is a little bit of a tangent, but you know, university in itself is also kind of a ripoff in my opinion, but, Oh yeah. Um, I think, you know, that's, that's a, that's another tangent for an entire time, but like, I don't really care what your degree is at this point. Um, <laughs> that's, that, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Uh, for as a person who took two degrees, that's where I sit. But yeah, I think it's, you know, it's still a skill set. It still requires you to have knowledge of the sport. It still requires you to put time and effort in as in someone, you know, puts time and effort in to study for a test. You're putting time and effort in for a meet or a competition or for hours or things like that. So I think, yeah, it's just different work. I think that's how it should be seen in my opinion. Agreed. Uh, that's, you know, who are we to draw the line on like what's valid and what's not, especially given the things that people are doing now are so broad that the idea that one aspect is not valuable and one aspect is, um, I, you know, that's, that's kind of the way that I see it. Um, is there anything that you wanted to add about the experience as well before we kind of finish up here on anything that we missed or anything that you would like people to know about your experience or the NCAA? Um, I think my biggest thing is I, I do want everyone to know that I, absolutely loved my time at Ohio state. Um, I, I bleed scarlet and gray. If you check any of my social medias, I'm always posting about the Buckeyes and I'm very thankful for that opportunity. So I don't want it to come across as being ungrateful at all. I know how fortunate I was to you know, have that opportunity. I think there's room for improvement. Absolutely. Um, but I think that goes without saying so you, so for you're, everything. You're more upset with the NCAA than you are with the school itself. Oh, yeah, yeah. My time at okay. Ohio State was, was fantastic, and I really applaud Ohio State because I know that they provide their athletes with a lot of resources, like I said, that other schools don't have access to. And so maybe if other, other athletes across the country had access to all the same resources, it wouldn't quite be as big of an issue, but... Regardless, something needs to change because the cost of college is going up. Athlete scholarships are not always going up. Um, and we're just getting piled on with debt <laughs> ridiculously. Oh, yeah. And I, I actually would love to do that for another podcast episode and just kind of talk about like the struggles of becoming, you know, getting a credential. But that I think we should say for another podcast, I would love to talk about the the path to becoming a dietitian. I'm not a dietitian, to be clear, but <laughs> I, I'm very aware of the the struggles of getting there. And I think that would be a really good episode to go over. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So we'll have to do that again. Where can they find you, Katie? You can find me on Instagram at fueling.former.athletes. I also have a website, www.spottestrongnutrition.com. I'm most active on Instagram. Um, so if you have any questions, you want to hit me up, let me know. I check my DMs all the time. 
Yeah, for sure. And I, I do follow your page as well. And I have to say that I'm a really big fan. I have been for a while now, actually. So definitely take a look at that for anybody who wants a good page to follow with really good content. Um, Katie knows her stuff. Oh, thank you so, so much, Mark. Def- definitely. Good well, thank you for coming in. I really appreciate it. We'll have to have you on again just to talk more about uh, colleges in general. I feel like we could have done another half hour on that, but I'm going to end it here. And we are going to figure that out. But thanks, everybody, for listening. And now Katie is one of the members of the Fitness Bunch. And I want to thank you all for tuning in. Thanks again. Thanks so much, Mark.